Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. If you have your Bible and will join me in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse number 1. Brother Rayleigh has already mentioned it. Let's also pray for our youth that are on the youth on missions trip. I think 118 or so people are on that trip so let's ask God to touch them and not only can they be kept safe and not only can they be exposed to something but I pray that their lives will also be a light as well and it's certainly a two-way street so let's ask the Lord to touch them and we're going to look for good reports coming from that way the book of second Kings chapter 5 and verse number 1 the Bible says now Naaman captain of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance into Syria excuse me he was also a mighty man in valor but he was a leper he was the captain of the king of Syria a great man with his master honorable a man given to deliverance he was also a mighty man, the Bible says, but he was a leper. Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to touch the word to our heart this evening. Lord, I love you and I thank you so very much for the privilege to be standing behind this pulpit. And I ask you one more time, Lord, to just stand here with me. Please don't let me stand alone. And let the anointing of your Holy Spirit touch my heart and my lips I pray that your word will find, that anointed word will find a resting place in the fertile soil of someone's heart here tonight. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And you may be seated. If you will keep your Bibles open to the book of 2 Kings 5. We're going to kind of be journeying through this particular chapter. And so let's just continue down if we drop down to verse 9 and 10. The Bible says, So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. I, I know that many of us know the story of Naaman the leper, and so... Um, I'm just going to kind of step off into the deep end of this, at least under the presumption that most of us know the story. As you look at the shining resume of this man, we see several different things to consider in just the very first verse that we read. That he was the captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was a man that was great with his master or a man who had recognition and honor of his master. He was an honorable man. He was a man that brought deliverance to Syria. 
and a mighty man in valor. And then as we're reading that verse, there is the conjunction that, that just changes the, the scope and the perception of all of this. And it says, but he was a leper. I'm fairly certain that I am addressing some people here this evening, including myself, that would admit that to some degree and in perhaps multiple areas of our lives, we are not exactly where we thought we would be at this particular juncture of life. In our youth, back when we had all the answers, don't you wish we had written them down somewhere? <laughs> if we didn't have all of them, we certainly had a majority of them all corralled up. We had a course of action or a plan, so to speak. However, there are just a few things that you just can't count on and you, you can never figure into those youthful dreams and aspirations. I've said many times that life can come at you very quickly and without warning, everything can change. I, along with everybody sitting here and I think most anybody that will ever even hear this message have come to terms with the fact that some of the things that we planned on in our youth are just not going to happen. They're, they're not going to be realized. And I'm not going to be trying to paint your world gray here tonight. We're just talking about how it is. Or at best, they're not going to happen exactly as we planned. For instance, one of the things that my wife had always desired was a large family. She came from a fairly good-sized family and she knew the joys that were associated with that. In all honesty, it was not something that I could relate to, particularly because I was born later in my parents' life and my siblings were essentially grown and gone before I would ever really develop a lot of childhood family mem memories with my brothers growing up in the sandbox, so to speak. But life intervened. And we soon discovered that having multiple children was just not going to be an option for us. That was something that was taken off the table unannounced. It was not anything that we had a vote in. I'm, I'm not implying at all that uh, we're unhappy with the way things are. It's just you had to make adjustments to your life. That's one of the things you planned on and it certainly could not happen. I, I remember vividly I remember the day that, that that news came became a reality to us and it was not a happy time in our life, in our home, and in our marriage. But we had to come to terms with that, build a bridge over it, and move on because life certainly didn't stop. And I'm also not implying that Justin has ever had any problems with being an only child. <laughs> he certainly hasn't. He'll tell you that quickly today that he doesn't share well. And uh, Sarah, if they're, they're out with our youth tonight, but if she were here, she would amen that. He still doesn't share well. I can tell you that some of the dreams that have not come to fruition in my life have not been dreams that were stolen from me due to circumstances beyond my control. I can tell you that some of the things that I had dreamed for my life have never been achieved simply because I was unwilling to pay the price. Amen.
And this is not a sermon to muster pity. I'm just trying to build a foundation. Some things died before they came into full bloom because I wasn't willing to strive or to seek it out. Apparently, I wasn't willing to continue a course of action that was necessary to attain those things. Or maybe maybe I didn't obtain some things because I was just too busy pursuing something else and maybe even the wrong thing. I really hope you understand I'm not trying to bemoan anything here tonight. I'm just striving really to make a point. And that point is, is that we are all in pursuit of something. Even as we speak, there is no point in our life that we're not pressing or reaching for something. Maybe you're in pursuit of heaven and you're working hard and you're continue, continuing a course of action or we're pressing in as it were we're pursuing something but know this a lack or the lack of heavenly pursuits is really a pursuit of things that are not so heavenly because either our affections are set on this world or this world we cannot be divided in our pursuits in that degree I mentioned a moment ago and read to you a very familiar passage of scripture about a man we call Naaman the leper. After you read his resume, it's really a sad kind, kind of a sad thing to just boil it all down to Naaman the leper, not Naaman a man of honor or Naaman a conqueror or Naaman a, a man who was so well revered among his peers, but Naaman the leper. Although he had favor with kings and experienced the splendor of a king's friendship, it, the Bible, as I stated earlier, ends all of that in summary by saying, but he was a leper. And so he was forced to take all the precautions that lepers had enforced upon them by the law. There was absolutely no hope for him. If you have ever studied anything about leprosy, if, you, if you've ever done any reading about leprosy, it was, it was a death sentence in the truest sense. There was no hope for him until he heard about a prophet that could heal him. News of this prophet came from one of the most unlikely sources of all. It was a little captive girl who we might refer to today as a prisoner of war that just told him about a man, a prophet, a man that God had honored and would honor his prayer, a man of great faith and vision, a man of great miracles. And if you could just get to Elisha, and so off Naaman goes, of course, a man of means. So he leaves with his horses and his chariot. And, and now if you fast forward the tape just a little bit, we, we find Naaman now standing at the front door of Elisha. And what a sight this must be. If you could just kind of rush up to this moment and freeze the frame. Here's a man of means, a man of victory, a man of renown, a man of great respect. And here he stands helpless, standing knocking at the door, per se, of the man named Elisha. Elisha, the Bible says, has a servant by the name of Gehazi. And so Elisha sends out his servant Gehazi with instructions on what he ought to do in order to be cleansed of his leprosy. And we know the story of that little season of debate about what the answer would have been and 
but nevertheless Naaman obeys the man of God's instructions and he dips indeed seven times in the muddy waters of Jordan and then returns cleansed from his leprosy. Again, with all the Syrian splendor, Naaman is standing at Elisha's house professing his faith in the God of Israel and and now Naaman is just begging Elisha to take some blessing from him. Let me, let me give you something in exchange for all that's unfolded in my life. In verse number 16, the Bible says that this is Elisha's response. As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Elisha refused to receive anything from Naaman the leper. It would seem at least at first glance that Naaman is the heart of this story. In so many ways, he really is. We also might consider another man, and that is the prophet I'm talking about, Elisha. He certainly plays a significant role in the story, but there are more than two players on the field this evening. The third man is the man I want to talk about. It's from his life. It's from this moment and for just a few more moments on, that I want to speak to you from this subject, misguided pursuits. The word pursue or means strive to gain or to seek and attain or to continue a course of action. To strive, to press, to seek, to attain, to continue a course of action. Not what we start, but it's what we continue. It's what we press in every day. During this encounter of Naaman and Elisha, the servant Gehazi gets involved. He was standing there, of course. He was the messenger. Just go down to Jordan's River and dip seven times. He was standing there, of course, when Naaman returned with all the gifts trying to trying to pay Elisha some, some homage for what God has done in, in his life. And he was standing there and his eyes beheld something. Gehazi saw all the things that Naaman offered Elisha. Gehazi saw things like talents of silver. He saw the raiment. He saw really just a glimpse of the splendor of Syria. And it was at this point, if you could just play this frame by frame with me in your mind, it was at this point that something happened in the life of Gehazi. I have often said about various circumstances that obviously in people's lives, I say this without an ounce of judgment, I'm just making an observation, but obviously there are lines in life. And I have watched great, people, wonderful people that have somewhere stepped across some proverbial line and justify now things that there is no earthly way to justify. I've often referred to that and said that obviously there are lines. I don't ever want to find that. I, I don't ever want to get even close enough to discover. I want to I want to yield myself to the spirit and the will of God enough. I, I hope you don't sound, that doesn't sound pompous. I don't mean it that way at all. I just ask the Lord constantly to help me to walk today 
in the light of your wisdom and help me to walk today in the light of your word. And I, I try to ask the Lord daily to order my steps today, order my steps in your word. It was at that, at that point that something happened in the mind of Gehazi. All of his senses left him because of the desire of things. Now, I'm not going to stand here tonight and talk about a list of things. I'm just going to talk about things. Things. The Bible says in verse 21, you can read the whole chapter. It's a worthy read. But Gehazi said in, in verse 21, the Bible says, So Gehazi followed after Naaman. After Elisha said, No, I will have none. I will receive nothing from you. The wheels began to turn over in the mind of Gehazi. He got kind of intoxicated on the silver and the raiment and the, the, all of the wonder and the beauty and the splendor of Syria. Just a glimpse of things. They were just things if you bear that in your mind. So Gehazi developed a plan in his mind, a very sinister plan. And he followed after Naaman, the verse 21 says. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from his chariot to meet him and said, Is, is all well? And he said, all is well. And then here comes nothing more than a lie. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a, a talent of silver and two changes of garment. I, I suppose if you just boil all of this down, we could just... Boil it down to a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Gehazi stood there and, and absolutely lied. He was pursuing things. I'm talking about misguided pursuits because we're either marching toward the things of this world or we are marching toward the things of God. Now, you, we, you, you can try to blur the line all you want to, but I think if we get right down to the crux of the matter, we're either passionate about the things of this world or we're passionate about the things of God. Amen. And so he was willing to lie in his pursuit of things. Well, I know some could say, well, what's a little silver and, and what's a few garments? But think about this for just a moment. Here is a man by the name of Gehazi that turned his back, not on his master alone, but on his Lord, just to pursue a few things, just a few tangible items that's going to fade. It's going to lose all of its value. I may say this more than once tonight, but let me insert it while I'm thinking about it, that you will not ever have to give up one thing to serve God that you won't have to ultimately give up to go to hell. You, you won't give up anything to go to heaven that you won't ultimately have to give up to go to hell. I've had people look at me in the eyes and tell me that I am not willing to give up the lifestyle that I am living to serve God. I love doing what I'm doing. Well, let me tell you something. You're going to give it up one day, one day you're going to have to give up whatever it is that holds you so spellbound. So whatever you feel like you can't give up to go to heaven, you will one day give up to go to hell. 
there's something that we just cannot afford to miss in this story. The man at the center is a man that's not someone that we could just qualify as an ordinary man. I know that the Bible refers to him as the servant of Elisha and I I know there's probably a little bit of a negative connotation that comes with that term servant but just think about this with me if you will for a moment. Gehazi was not blind or not deaf to the fact that they had come upon a Shunammite woman that had blessed them. And he said, what can we do? He was the one that realized she was without child. She, he was the one that brought that news to Elisha. And Elisha prophesied to her that a child is going to be born. And Gehazi, the servant, was standing there when the promise was made and he was introduced ultimately in time to the child. And so he realized that this was not just a word spoken that was soon vaporized, but this indeed was a divine prophetic utterance. And Elisha said in the time of life, you're gonna have a child. And the Shunammite woman, this was such a tender issue with her. She said, don't, don't joke with me or don't, don't lie to me. And so Gehazi was standing there when all of this happened. Gehazi, when the child died in the field, it was Gehazi that was also witness to the miraculous restoration of his life. And so at the center of what we're talking about here this evening, it was Gehazi that was used by Elisha. In so many ways, it was, he was standing right there. He wasn't, this didn't happen in some other part of the country and he just got word of it down through some memo. He was standing there when he was looking at a woman barren that now had a promised seed, that now has a child, that now has a dead child, that now has a living child in her hand. Gehazi was standing there when Naaman knocked at the door. It was he that was given instruction. You go tell him to dip seven times in Jordan's River and he'll be healed. Gehazi heard the debate of all that was going on. Gehazi was also standing there when Naaman came back to the door dripping wet with Jordan's muddy water dripping out of the hem of his garment but his flesh was made clean like a brand new child. Gehazi was standing right there. But his desire for things, can you imagine? I asked you a moment ago to play this with me frame by frame and just allow me to say it this way that so that we best captured in our minds that the sidewalk was still wet with Naaman's miracle when Gehazi got intoxicated on the silver and the garment. And he missed the miracle of a man given life. In the midst of this miraculous moment, Things stood out brighter. Silver had a greater shine than Naaman's brand new skin. Garments, somehow, garments 
were more valuable in a moment of time than a man who had been divinely healed before his very eyes. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That means that we cannot have our affection set on two worlds. We're either pursuing things of this natural world or we're pursuing things of this heavenly world. And we have to understand something that an apathetic attitude toward the things of God is an active pursuit in the wrong direction. It is misguided pursuits. I, I don't know. I am trying to reach to you tonight with passion and, and I am trying not to speak to you with frustration but there is a very thin line because it is unbelievable to see what God is doing in this hour. I'm telling you what the Spirit of the Lord is not just doing right here in our local church but all around the world but let's just stay home and see what God is doing right here in our midst and yet it is all we can do to keep some people's attention right here on the things of God. Amen. People sitting here that have witnessed miracles and signs and wonders. I'm talking about things worthy of the book of Acts. Not, not, not maybe, maybe God moved or you know, that might have been the hand of God but we have watched God divinely turn circumstances and situations around in our very lives within the last few weeks right here among this church family we have watched the powerful hand of God mesmerize the medical field when they said there is no hope and all is done but God's hand of mercy just turned and twisted and said I don't think today that is going to be the order of this day and so we're not talking about maybe so's and might be's and we might twist it and turn it and, and we might shoehorn this in to some 2013 miracle but I'm going to tell you that seeing revival is not enough and that watching something miraculous take place will never be the key to just turning something on in our mind watching somebody receive receive the powerful gift of the Holy Ghost for the very first time or somebody being baptized in the name of Jesus for the very first time that will not be enough I'm telling you that you can stand in the middle of a miracle and if our passions are in the wrong place if our pursuits are bent in the wrong direction in the midst of Naaman's dripping wet garments we'll just see the silver and the gold and the garments and the things and the splendor of the world our lack of the pursuit of the things of God can give birth to complacency when that happens the spirit of apathy and the spirit of indifference just becomes resident in our spirit Satan gradually just comes in to the point that worship and the word and things of that nature have just become trivial and insignificant we cannot say that we love God and not be faithful to him I don't mean to cut to the quick tonight but how could I be unfaithful to my wife and come home and say but I love you how could I say I, I know this and I know that I, I know but, but I love you we can't 
Be here, be there, be there, be there, be there, be here, be here, and then, and then come to the house of God and lift our hands and say, but I love you. I love you. I'm talking about misguided pursuits. We want his blessings and we desire God to smile upon our lives and our family and then in the midst of all of that desire, we struggle to even do the minimum for God. The minimum. Again, I say the lack of the pursuit of the things of God is, is inadvertently an, an active pursuit of the things that will take you nowhere but down. Just because we've seen miracles or just because we've experienced them ourselves or the express hand of God evident in our own lives, that alone is not powerful enough to stop the desire for misguided pursuits. It's a daily struggle. And I think anybody honest in their spirit would say amen to that. And I've heard people say, I wouldn't trade the Lord for anything this world has to offer. Hmm. Hmm. It doesn't take very much. And after a while, you don't even see them. But I wouldn't trade this for anything. We're guilty sometimes of not even being able or committed enough to give God the praise that's due Him in the course of one service, an hour and a half or two. And no, I didn't get up on the wrong side of the bed. As good as God has been, it should never be required of me that somebody say, come on now, come on now. Come on now. Come on now. But what we ought to hear through this microphone are people saying, please sit down. Please sit down. Am I being unrealistic tonight? Or is the fact that our passions are so divided and our pursuit of things, Gehazi has is, 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 got a long list of things that he's experienced with his own eyes. These are not testimonies from someone else. This is not a, another generation's experience, but this is something that has happened in his very lifetime and before his very eyes. And I, I, I'm telling you that, that I've watched people bored to tears while standing or sitting in the very presence of God. His presence is so real and so strong and, and there are people that have almost just, just a yawn fest. I wonder when we're gonna get out. I wonder how much longer this is going to last. I, I say, God, help us. God, help us in our misguided pursuits. It won't matter what you own. It won't matter how many titles you bear. It won't matter. All of that will not matter. I, I'm not trying to be crass tonight, but I'm gonna tell you, you can't take one thing with you. I can't take one thing with me. We must reach back and join the hands of a generation before us who sang it and meant it when they said, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Brother Jerry Dean said a few years ago, he said for us to say, this world is not my home, we sure don't act like it. He said for when, for when we declare that we're just 
passing through. We sure don't act like it because we're not driving down tent stakes in the dirt. But we, like Lot, are digging footers and laying block and making some permanent resident out of something that's just gonna fade and pass away. Oh, God, don't let me be like Gehazi and bear in my own witness what your hand can do and then get intoxicated on the things of this world that will all fade and wither away. It is no, not just a statement. It is a truth that whatever you think you may have in this life can go to zero value in the next 30 minutes. Death comes calling. I'm not using scare tactics. I'm trying to wake us up. But if death comes calling, it won't make any difference to you. That will not matter. Your address, what you wear, what what name is inside your suit, how much your necktie costs, or, or what people think of you, it won't matter. The only thing that will matter, your world will be so focused in on one thing, and that will be God. I need God now more than anything else. What I'm saying, I don't want the Lord, after having met my needs and healing my family and putting marriages back together and providing for this and providing for that, then to, to suddenly just decide that this doesn't matter to me. This doesn't matter to me. It's not about trying to decide whether this is right or that's right. What about this? What about that? I've watched people just ignore not only the written word but the preached word and just do whatever they want to do regardless. And there's such a danger in that. Because you're chasing something that when you catch it, it's just going to vaporize. And when you grab it, it won't be nearly as valuable as what you thought it was going to be. I've talked to people of means. I'm not preaching against having things and prosperity, and I shouldn't have to qualify that at this point. But I've, I've preached to people that have lost a lot of things in their pursuit of the things of this world and, and unequivocally with tears streaming down their face, they said, if I could give it all back. I would just to have all the things I lost on the way. Everything that I lost on the way. The Bible plainly says there's a record being kept in heaven of my every action and my every word. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably got the blade set a little close here tonight, but that's what the scripture says. And it's from that that I'm going to be judged. I, I hope I'm safe in saying this in the presence of Aunt Merle here tonight. I say it with great respect. My father was probably a little bit more of a cut-up than my grandmother. My grandfather was probably a little bit more of a cut-up than my grandmother. She's a little more sober about things. If I heard her one time say this, I heard her many times say when my grandfather would be joking around, she'd say, Carl, every idle word. Aunt Bobby, I say that with great deference. Every idle word. You know what? There was something in us that wanted to say, oh, big mama, lighten up. Oh, come on. But there was something in her spirit. Are, are, are you getting what I'm saying tonight? Gehazi received the 
two talents of silver and the two changes of garments. Think about what he traded when he reached his hand out and brought them back in. I just, just read this story over and over and over and I played this out frame by frame today. I just wonder what, what it felt like when he, because Naaman is completely ignorant to what's going on. Talent of silver and two garments, not a problem. He snaps his finger, speaks to one of his servants who quickly grabs two garments and two pieces of silver and, and Gehazi reaches out his hand and he pulls it to him. I wonder what it felt like. I wonder what was going through his mind on his way back home. What have you really won here today? Verse 25, and he went in and stood before his master and Elisha said unto him, whence comest thou? Gehazi, amazing, isn't it? And he said, thy servant went no whither. Now, I'm not trying to pick, but I just want to bear something out. That's quite an unusual word. The word whither in the Old English means hither and thither. I'm not trying to play with you. But we may say it like this. Gehazi said, well, I went over here a little while. And then I went over here a little while. I pursued this a little while and I pursued that a little while. And that sounds like what it is, the loss of a pursuit. It was a misguided, for just a moment, if he could have been honest, he could have said, Elisha, to be very honest with you, I got misguided in my pursuits. And when you weren't looking, I started chasing the wrong thing. And when the wrong thing saw me coming, read it, the wrong thing stopped. And the wrong thing lighted off of his chariot. And the wrong thing said, what can I do for you? And when he said, this is what I would like, the wrong thing said, here you go. All the while, Gehazi, is forgetting the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the majesty because of the pursuit of things. There was a result. And that's what I close with here this evening. And the result is horribly tragic because it wasn't just a result for him. In the book of 1 Kings 5, 26 and 27, Elisha asked this piercing question. When he said, where have you been? He said, well, I went no whither. Elisha said, went not my heart with thee? Where was your conscience when all of this happened? Where were all the sermons you heard me preach while you were on your way there. Where were the miracles of the hand of Jehovah God while you were intoxicated on garments and silver? 
When the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee, where, where was your heart? Was not my heart with thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? He said, really? Is that what time it is? Gehazi, is it really time that we receive all of this? Is that what time it is according to your calendar? And then came the pronouncement, verse 27. Listen. The leprosy, therefore, the word therefore refers you back to what was just spoken. Because my heart didn't go with you and because you entertained that that jumped off of the chariot and you received that. The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee. That would be horrible enough. But there is not a period in this sentence now. It's a comma. The, the leprosy of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. Gehazi, you weren't making a decision just for you, sir. When you stopped that chariot and reached out and pulled it to your bosom, now this is what he said. The leprosy from Naaman now will cleave to you and to your seed forever. And the scripture says, and he went out from his presence as a leper white as So how long did you possess it? How long did you have the silver? How long did you have the... Was it worth it? Stop Gehazi on the way out of the tent door and ask him, Sir, was it worth it? Because of Gehazi's pursuit of things, from that day forward, every child that was born in the lineage of Gehazi was a leper. I found this interesting. You can take it or leave it. The scripture is what it is. But Bible history says that because of Gehazi's family's knowledge that any child born would be leprous, they chose not to have children. As an end result, in time, Gehazi's family and the seed died. So I'll say this tonight. To you who sit here or to anyone who may listen. What do you want to do? You want to water down everything you can water down? Discard everything you can discard? Pursue the wrong things? But I'll say this. You're not just affecting you. You're affecting little eyes that are watching. One day your sense of it's no big deal. One day that attitude of what difference does it make? It may cost you more than you realize. What a tragedy. I want to tell you, I don't want anyone to see that kind of attitude in me. I don't want my family to end up with the leprosy of this world because I have some sort of misguided pursuit. Arrogance, you think? No. Anything but. 
That's why if God will give me good sense and breath in the morning, I'm going to be back at that chair with that pillow pull close up to my chest. And I'm going to say, good morning, Lord. I need you again today. David, I don't think just wrote it down to sound flashy, but I think he was really telling the truth. Your word is a light and a lamp. So I'm asking you today, God, to let your word go before me. And let me make sure. Why don't we stand? Why don't we just gather around the front there this evening? Amen. I pray that the Spirit of God Almighty will touch us, touch me. I pray this message tonight, and I say this sincerely, I pray this message starts with me. And I pray it starts with my home and my family. Amen. I'm asking the Spirit of God to touch us. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost minister. Jesus, don't let this just be a message that just gets cast to the side, seed that somehow gets lost. But I pray, O oh Lord, that your Spirit would anoint us. God, let the passion and the power of the kingdom Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. What about it? Can we pray a prayer for ourselves? Can we pray a prayer of intercession for our own families? God, let me wipe the lens. Let me wipe the lens of my life and make sure that it's not cluttered and clouded with things of this world that really won't matter. It really won't matter. It really won't matter. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.